0: My my dad had missed a worm project I had. And when I was in first grade, I was six years old. And I was kind of that kid, like sitting in the front of the class, like waiting for dad to walk through the door. And it didn't happen. And I, I was used to it at home. I was kind of the kid sitting in front of the window, waiting for dad to come pick him up. He said he was going to, you know, do whatever. Um, but this was the first time that, like, it happened in, in front of other people. But it was the first time I remember realizing oh, he's not exactly Superman anymore. And I think on top of that, I started getting a picture painted for me of, I don't think that's the guy who's going to show me how to show up as a man in the world. And again, I don't don't think I had that thought at six years old, but I think that really started to plant the seed of, that was my first realization of, okay, I'm going to have to figure this out on my own or I'm going to have to find other people to help guide me through it. I'm a real big believer in your beliefs aren't really solidified until they're tested you can think you believe whatever until you actually have to face it and do it. I don't believe that that's an actual like real thing until, until you have to kind of prove that. I mean, we should try to glean as much information off of every experience as possible. So a lot of these I tied together at the time. A lot of these I tied together, you know, it connected the dots for me later on. Um, but I just think really trying to like pull as much as you can out of everything you do is huge.
1: This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Kyrie Oliver. Kyrie, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: No, thank you. And uh, as I we talked off camera a little bit, I've uh, I, I came across your Instagram, and um, you know I think you have one of those pages that captivates you because you have some images and videos that I could tell you're really passionate about, and. Um, I, I, if we can, I wanted to start maybe with a little bit of your background on how your mindset, you know, as a young man uh, playing sports may have contributed to the man you are today.
0: Yeah. Wow. And I mean, it, it does a lot. Like, And that's why I think sports are so incredibly important for, especially for young men, Um yeah it helps to shape you in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, even like in business right now, my competitiveness, my tenacity, my willingness to just do what's uncomfortable a lot of that comes from my sports background so it's it's continued to serve me well past my sport days and let's talk about that when did you when did you start your journey with sports? um I've always played them since I was maybe four or five years old i started playing soccer. I played baseball until I was in high school. In high school, I wrestled and played football. And then I played uh, Division One football in college. And where did you play? I played at University of Idaho. Oh, great. Oh, That's a beautiful area as well. Yeah. Um, so where's home? Where did you actually grow up? I grew up in the East Bay Area, Northern California. So about 25 miles east of San Francisco. Okay, and like many areas around the country when when you're a youngster, soccer seems
1: to be one of those first sports that that kids start off with baseball as well. you said you played both yeah. um and then you're how how far did
0: you take your baseball career before you went over to to play football? um I think I stopped I was maybe in sixth grade when I stopped playing baseball um and then I played basketball in middle school for a few years sixth and seventh grade and then started football my sophomore year of college or high school well i started my freshman year tore my meniscus Ooh. and then was out until my sophomore year of high school and then i started playing there okay what is it about
1: the game of football that helps young men with discipline
0: i i one of my good friends uh he, he explained it very well as it's it's controlled aggression. And I think that it plays multiple roles in our lives, but it teaches you kind of how to, it teaches you that when and where I think a lot of times. So, and I know that's not a very conventional answer. I know most people are like, it teaches you teamwork. It teaches you hard work. I think a lot of it for me was the when and where, when is this appropriate? When is this not, you know, and also how small mistakes can become humongous mistakes. That misstep by a foot can get that defender past you and get your quarterback sacked. That missed hand placement can get you a holding call that missed whatever can have exponential results. And I think that's, again, that's kind of echoed throughout my life and really helped kind of guide me through it.
1: No, that's great. I'm I'm so glad you put it that way because as you're talking about that, I could visualize instances of missteps. It could be a misstep in a relationship it could be a misstep at work it could be a misstep at school that um these conscious decisions that we make can have lasting effects and 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 it, and people i think uh, more than ever are are very um at least aware of of their decisions or at least they should be And yes. it sounds like that's the message that you're that you're
0: talking about uh as well yeah i think so a lot um I mean, we should try to glean as much information off of every experience as possible. So a lot of these I tied together at the time. A lot of these I tied together, you know, it connected the dots for me later on. Um, But I just think really trying to like pull as much as you can out of everything you do, is huge. Yeah, so let's talk about
1: where you are today. Uh, What brought you on your journey of you know, having, having a a big presence on social media and the effect of what you're doing to help men become stronger men.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I think it started honestly very early. Um, I've, I've always kind of just been this person. I've always had a very big personality. I've always kind of, um, had very big energy and I'm also a big guy. I'm six foot six. Okay. I've always just kind of had that big presence as well, but the personality go along with it. Um, I know a lot of bigger guys are more on the shy and like introverted side. I've just never been that. Um, And so it really, it plays very well just in my life. But uh, the manhood stuff really started. I've kind of isolated uh, a specific event and it, it kind of sounds weird. Um, my my dad had missed a worm project I had, and when I was in first grade, I was six years old, and I was kind of that kid like sitting in the front of the class, like waiting for dad to walk through the door, and it didn't happen. And I, I was used to it at home. I was kind of the kid sitting in front of the window, waiting for dad to come pick him up. He said he's going to, you know, do whatever. Um, but this was the first time that like it happened in, in front of other people, and I remember just being incredibly embarrassed and i I remember coming home i think my dad came by like that night to come apologize and we kind of took a walk around the block and he explained to me i think he it it was always either his alarm clock broke or his car broke down and i I have this joke now that he must have gone through like 300 alarm clocks when i was younger because it just seemed to always be oh it it was broken i had to go buy a new one um and i remember you know i accepted his apology we said goodbye and i walked back in my house and. Talked to my mom, and she said, I walked up to her and just said, Mom, I don't think dad's alarm clock broke. I don't really think dad's alarm clock ever breaks. And it was, it wasn't, I mean, I obviously wasn't having like super complex thoughts about it at the time, but it was the first time I remember realizing, oh, he's not exactly Superman anymore. And I think on top of that, I started getting a picture painted for me of, I don't think that's the guy who's going to show me how to show up as a man in the world. And again, I don't don't think I had that thought at six years old, but I think that really started to plant the seed of, that was my first realization of, okay, I'm going to have to figure this out on my own, or I'm going to have to find other people to help guide me through it. And so even in my book, I uh, I identify probably about 15 men who have helped to shape who I am now, from my grandpa, uh, uncles, great-grandfather, coaches, teachers, so many different men along the way who kind of helped put the puzzle pieces together of who I am now and how I view the world myself now.
1: That's really interesting. And especially as such a, a youngster that you were able to identify that, uh, speak to your mother about it yeah. and, and, and really understand that maybe this, this was more of an excuse. Um, but for that young age, that's, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And, and the fact that you even remember that uh, so long ago. And um, I had a guest on last week and she talked about these crucible moments we have in our life. And to me, that sounds like it was one of those crucible moments. Yeah,
0: well, I, I think I never knew any different. My parents got divorced when I was two months old. So I, I, I never knew anything other than that. So I, I don't even know if I ever, I don't know if I ever took the time to feel sorry for myself, honestly. I, I just, that's what life was. It, it would have been different. Who I actually felt bad for were my friends whose parents got divorced in high school. And they realized one of their parents wasn't really putting an effort or one of their parents had done something crazy to to uh, break up the marriage. I felt bad for those friends because they had to go through it with their parents. I had kind of the luxury of I never knew what that was. I never knew what it was like to have dad at home. So it just it there was no big shift. It was just, oh, this is how it's always been. Good point. And uh, I'm sure
1: the listeners will be wondering the same question. But is your dad uh, in your life today?
0: No. Um, we had our last conversation, I want to say it was 2014. Um, uh, we had essentially, I'll give the super, super short version. He'd had a girlfriend who lived maybe two miles away from me and only about a mile away from where I worked. Uh, I was running my friend's gym at the time. And, uh, when, when they were dating, he would be in town every weekend and we'd hang out. And then the week that they broke up, I didn't see him for like nine months, and I would text him I'd call him. There was always kind of again the excuse as to why he couldn't come out and so again it wasn't I wasn't really hurt by it at that point. I was nineteen. it was just more of the same. it was the as soon as it's inconvenient, it doesn't happen and so he had texted me randomly one day when I was at a at a work meeting, and he'd said just what's up stranger. And so I was like, okay, I could take this one of two ways. I could be nice and we can reconnect, or I can do what I did and say, interesting. I could say the same about you. And so we kind of launched in that long conversation, ended up rehashing so many things from my childhood, but it came to the point where the last text I got from him was, I, I basically laid out here, look, here's what's happened. Here's what you've never owned up to. It's always been my mom's fault, my mom's family's fault. Uh, He blamed his own parents. He blamed his financial circumstances. It was everybody else's fault. And um, I basically said, I need ownership of this for us to move forward with any type of relationship. It was already kind of too late for the fatherly, let me teach you the rules of life relationship. But even for us to be friends, here's what I need. And the last text I got from him was, I'm unwilling to conform to fit your needs. And I sent him a text back saying, I think you've missed the point of what being a parent is. And we've seen each other three times since then. Haven't had a conversation since then, though.
1: Wow, that's really amazing. And again, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that could relate. This is a very, very important topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people go through this and... And I think people go through this even if they were raised with the parent. Um, and it's something that is very hard to do because we have that feeling of guilt. But you did something remarkable. Oh, and really. you stood up for yourself. Um, and 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 I hope people listening to this will find that strength within themselves to do the same. Because I'm sure if I ask you the next question is, how do
0: you feel about the decision you made? You yeah. would say, fun Absolutely. What's interesting is I was actually, that's been tested a few times of if I was okay with it. Um, and I think the beginning of 2015, my brother sent me a text saying, hey, I think you need to call dad. And he knew we weren't speaking to one another. This was about six months later. And I said, nope, <laughs> no, thank you. And uh, no, he was like, well, it's, it's really important. I said, well, if it's important, tell me what it is. And like, I'll figure out whether it's important to call him or not. And he said, no, it's not my place. My dad's been diabetic since I was 10. And so my worst, the worst case scenario was he was super sick or, you know, something had happened, gotten worse, he had cancer, something like that. And I really had to kind of juggle the, do I feel okay if my father's no longer around with how I've ended it? And I didn't end up contacting him. Turns out it ended up being that he had another kid. So my dad's now got a 35-year-old daughter, my older sister, and he's got a seven-year-old. He's seven now. And I found out about him three years ago. Um, And then last year, my my father actually had an infection um, that got down into his bone. And so he actually went into a coma. Same thing again. My girlfriend was actually going through um, some issues at the time as well. We drove over to L.A. to kind of give her some time away. I I told her I booked two weeks for us to just be in – we were in Carlsbad, California. Beach City, great, like, energy there. And I thought that was going to be best for where she was at at the time. And uh, the morning we were driving out, my brother called me and said that our dad was in a coma. And so we met up for lunch that day. My brother and I – well, my brother, my girlfriend, and I – and we had to kind of have a conversation of – you know, were we going up? And I told him no. And that was hard because my brother and I are very close. We're only 12 months apart. We just have very, very, we don't have different views of my dad. We have different ways of uh, going about it. I'm much less lenient with it. Um, and so he went up to go visit and I, I didn't. And it was that same, will I be okay with it if he doesn't pull out of it? And, um, you know, he's, he's still here now. He, he was in a coma, I believe, for like two or three days. Um, but it, it was a weird thing to juggle. It was a weird thing to, to have happen. But, again, it was – I'm a real big believer in your beliefs aren't really solidified until they're tested. You can think you believe whatever until you actually have to face it and do it. I, I don't believe that that's an actual, like, real thing until, until you have to kind of prove that. Um, and so those were kind of two times where it was really tested of, do I believe that I did what I could and should have to, to keep the relationship? Wow.
1: Yeah. Very, very, uh, interesting perspective. And again, it sounds like you are comfortable with your decisions. Um, and, and, and I think that's hard for a lot of people, uh, today to, they, they question themselves, you know, did I make the right decision? Uh, but do I have that right? Are, are you comfortable with the decisions you made? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, yeah. Because I don't make them hastily and right. I don't make them out of anger or, or hurt or anything like that. It's genuinely what do I believe is, is correct here.
1: Kyrie. So let's talk about your mission. What is it you are trying to do um, with your voice?
0: Yeah, I, I, I want to, partially I want to redefine what masculine means, what, what manhood is. Um, I, I think we've kind of deviated quite a bit from the track. Uh, I, I want men to be better men. I want men to expect more of themselves. And I want women to expect more from the men around them. And how does the average man do
1: that? How do they become aware of this? So talk to me about that. Like Talk, talk to me like you're explaining this. I would love to know just for myself. What yeah. can I do
0: to be better in, in those areas that you just mentioned? Yeah. So honestly, I really started exploring this when I was about, it was around the same time when I was about 19. Um, and part of it probably had to do with the, like, you know, breaking the relationship with my father it was like, you know, how many other people are dealing with similar things or how many other parents have kind of gone the same route? How do we fix that? Or how do we kind of reverse what, what's happening? the, I mean the fatherlessness, one, in, in just, even just in America, but also the fathers who were there, but not really. And, and that was actually one thing I realized moving from a very low income neighborhood that I grew up in to when I was in high school, more of a middle to upper class neighborhood where the dads were at home, but I saw the same problems. They spent zero time with their children. They, they kind of relied on nannies or relied on the mother. They were out providing for the family without providing kind of those internal tools. And so I really started exploring this, like what does this look like and where does it need to shift? And I kind of, I brought up, um, I don't know what to call them, maybe three pillars of masculinity. And I call them the soft heart, thick skin, and hard head. Soft heart is your empathy, your ability to connect with others, put myself in your shoes, understanding where you're coming from. Uh, The thick skin is your emotional intelligence. That's your internal filtering system for information. What does this mean for me? What do these emotions mean? Like second guessing those emotions and saying, does this serve me right now? Then the hard head is the grit, determination, intuitiveness, tenacity. Um, And just the hard head is normally what we would say is what makes us men. The willingness to just go out and do. I think that needs to be informed by our emotional intelligence, which is also informed by our empathy. So I think they all kind of work in equilibrium when you're able to check in with yourself and make sure they're all working at the same time. That's how we're able to put our best feet forward as men, as adults in the world. Wow. I love that. Yeah. It's just fascinating how you,
1: you came up with those three pillars. And again, it sounds like you practice this stuff. It's not, you know, things you just write down and, and say it sounds good, right? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about a couple of scenarios. Let's talk about the guy, single guy has a girlfriend, um, you know, maybe in a, in a, in a, somewhat serious relationship, how should that person be acting in the relationship and in society?
0: Yeah. Now within the relationship, I think that's, uh, that's a lot more difficult to answer because there, there's so much nuance. Um, but again, I, I think those self check-ins really, they help mitigate a lot of the, the possible problems that can come up. Um, being able to just objectively ask yourself and also having a peer group around you that's willing to check when you happen, I think that's such an important thing, especially again, as, as men, men are very, very timid about calling each other out or making keeping each other square about what we're doing throughout life. And I know all of my male close friends, they know for a fact I'm the friend who's going to, if you do something crazy, or if you have a girlfriend and we're out and you do something you know you shouldn't be, I'm the person who's pulling you aside and talking to you about it. I'm not angry at you. I don't think you're a terrible person, but I believe it's my job as part of your close-knit group to be able to keep all of us in line. Hey, we all need to be this type of man, keeping those things in equilibrium, checking in with ourselves and making sure. And I know every guy close to me knows that that's expected of them from me and I'd expect the same thing from them.
1: And Kyrie, let's talk about that. If if someone is struggling with that, if yeah. I have a hard time, if I see you do something, I have a hard time pulling you aside, any advice on on that person what what to help that person with being able to confront a friend because in the in the end you're really doing them
0: a service. Yeah. I think Having the dialogue before it happens is huge. Before I have to check you, we have to make sure our friendship is set up so that that's an open door. And I think that's that's where people mess up a lot of times is it's never really been talked about until you see your friend do something crazy. And then it becomes like, okay, do I say something? Do I not? Do I, do I go tell somebody else? What do I do there? When you've made the decision beforehand that I'm just going to do, I think you you get away from that hesitation and you say, this is the best possible outcome is that I address this in a very respectful and loving way too. I know none of my friends believe that I don't care about them no matter what I say to them. I'm able to tell you things that you may not want to hear, but you know where it comes from for me. No, that's a great point.
1: So you're saying when you have a relationship strong enough with a friend, you're able to talk to them in advance and say, look, this is a, this goes both ways. If you see me do anything, please yep. pull me aside. If I see you do anything, I'm going to pull you aside. So you have that
0: understanding before a situation actually occurs. And I think there are some of us who is part of my personality. I don't care if you're a stranger, I'll say something to you. If I see a guy grab his girlfriend by the arm too hard in public, I'm saying something to him. I don't think that role is for everybody, but I know that role is for me. I'm not, you're, you're a guy. Therefore, I feel a responsibility because you're a representation of me. I think that's something we don't do very well either right now, is checking each other when we don't know each other. I don't care who you are. I've had to do it to very famous people, unfortunately, at, at different masterminds or business events. I've had to check people who don't need to even ever know my name. But I think that piece is important for some of us to be in place in society. Where some of us are willing to say something to you, I don't care who you are.
1: that's powerful, that's really powerful uh and I could see now how all of this is coming together with your personality, your upbringing, and the the man that you have become, where you're not only looking out for yourself, you're looking out for everybody. Yeah.
0: We're all here together. that's right. We gotta do this together, yeah.
1: So you said the relationship part is tough to touch, and i and i and I do agree with that, so outside yeah. of that any 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 words of advice for that single guy on how
0: they could come into your three pillars? yeah so the way I did it was um and I know a big thing, especially with guys my age, the scariest thing is kind of just being left alone with yourself. And so for me, I, I was going through a lot. I actually went through some, some pretty crazy stuff when I was in college that ended up making me drop my scholarship and come home. Um, and, and so I, I was kind of dealing with a lot where I didn't want to be alone with myself either. There's things that come up that aren't comfortable that, that are actually really scary. And so for myself, I used to take about an hour, two, three times a week, and I would turn everything off and I would just stare at myself in the mirror. And I don't think people need to go to that extreme, but for where I was at at the time, I, I felt like that was necessary. And it, I just, I got very much in touch with myself at the time. It was very, everything comes up and I made a promise to myself, if something comes up that I don't feel like I can handle, I'll go seek help immediately. I'll go find a therapist. I'll go find somebody to be able to kind of help support. And um it, it got close, but it also got me connected. I kind of cracked open that shell of, what we think men's supposed to be again just the hard head. I kind of cracked open that shell and realized, okay, there's a bigger picture to this. There are more elements that I need, which are the those other two. Um and I think again, men just checking in with themselves at whatever level they feel is necessary. Take five minutes every few hours or just every day. Right before bed. Hey, am I doing these things? Do I feel like my relationships, my business, my work ethic, my health and wellness, my whatever, am I consistently checking in with those and just seeing if I'm cool with where I'm at? And if I'm not, let me start taking some steps. I don't think we need to completely transform overnight, but let me start taking some actionable steps to get back on track with where I feel like I'm lacking.
1: Wow, Uh, again, I've never heard of anyone doing this, uh, two to three hours in, in front of a mirror. Did you have a notebook by your side? Um, can you talk about this experience? What what happened over the course of two to three
0: hours? So it was about an hour a day, uh, two, three days a week for, I did it for about a year and a half. Um, and, and honest, I think for me, it was kind of a form of meditation. I don't meditate like we kind of, we would see in movies or something. Um, but it's just kind of quieting that everything around you, the noise. And you're, it, you're staring at yourself in the mirror. Is that what you're doing the whole time? Yeah. So I actually, at the time, I lived in my ex-girlfriend's dad's old duck hunting trailer on their property in Northern California. And uh, there was a a queen-size bed in there, but there was only maybe like an eight-inch gap in between the bed and the closet. And the closet was like sliding mirrors. So I would just sit at the edge of the bed and just look at the mirror. I would just stare at myself. And everything you hate about yourself, everything you love about yourself, everything you've ever experienced comes up. And a lot of things that you don't want to understand about yourself. And there's this whole, um, I believe it's like an old Japanese saying of like, you wear three masks. There's one that you put out to the world. There's one that you put out to your close-knit group. There's one you put out to yourself. And I think honestly, a lot of us have lost, we don't even connect with that one that we show to ourselves. I think we hide that from ourselves. And so it's really connecting with that, that deeper one that we, uh, try to hide from ourselves as well. And I think doing that work of of really addressing, hey, this is a piece of who I am. I'm not just who I put myself out to the world. I, I am that darkness as well. And being able to, again, con- control that and say when and where. Because sometimes, uh, again, if your life is threatened or somebody close to you is threatened, that darkness needs to come out a little bit. It needs to kind of flex its muscles a little bit. But if you don't connect with that ahead of time, just like the conversation with your friend, If you don't address it ahead of time, you can't control it. It'll come out, it'll go too far. You'll end up putting somebody in the hospital. You'll end up in big trouble somewhere. If you don't know how to connect with that thing and bring it up only when it's necessary, you don't know how it's gonna act. You don't know how it's gonna go. And so I'm a big believer in addressing these things before you need them. Incredible.
1: And again, I can't help but think about your days of of football of preparation for that game, you know, mm-hmm. all the hard days of practice, the blocking, the tackling, all those necessary components, you know, that quick step, as you talked about earlier, that prepare you for life. Because when you are in a situation, okay, if if you do think about it in advance, now you have some form of an of, of an idea of how to handle it. Yep. Wow. Um
0: were there days that you cried? Most. I see Almost yeah. all of them. And, and I mean, it's an hour. So sometimes it was a whole time. Sometimes it was part of it. But I'd say probably 80% of the time there were some. Was it therapeutical? Yes, it was therapeutic. It was cathartic. Um, I think it was everything. Like... Any emotion you could possibly feel about it, it was that. I'll into it. We have a group
1: in American Rule, a private Facebook group called the Live Tribe. Mm. And the premise of the Live Tribe is for people to go on uh, in within the private Facebook group every day or as often as they like um, and do a live video. Mm. And it very much resembles, as I talk about this a lot, talking into a mirror. You know, you're, you're, you're talking to yourself, mm. which is being broadcast out to the group. But something has happened over time. We've been doing this for about a year now, mm-hmm. and it's really incredible because and I do it myself. Um, when I first started doing this, I was wearing that mask mm-hmm. that you talk about. and as time went on, that mask would would come off a little bit more every time to the point where everyone in the group has has uh, you know talks about this as well, everyone has the same kind of feeling that. It helps you get to your authentic and transparent self. And it's really, really important. And that's why we're trying to encourage so many people to, and even if it's not in our group, you know, form your own group, whatever it may be, but live video is very similar to what you described. Um, Of course, it's not the length of time, but it's very, very helpful for people. And I'm just curious to see, get your thoughts on if you see any similarities there.
0: Yeah, so I actually did kind of that too. I used to post a two, three minute video every evening for about a year and it was during the same time and it was on different subjects. The The funny thing it was is it was me teaching or it was me explaining my thoughts throughout the day, but often it was kind of me talking to myself as well. I I was talking to the world, but I was really talking to myself very often. And and so I think it was very similar. We didn't, I think it was before Facebook Live came out this is, yeah, this is like 2015, 14 and 15. And, um, but it was kind of along the same lines. It was, I'm, I'm going to just put this out there. Hopefully somebody else can get something from it just for me sharing myself and what I'm currently experiencing. That's really cool. What's a typical day look like for you today? What do you, what do you do in a typical day? Typical day right now, I usually wake up, um, big glass of Water. I actually drink out of either like a pitcher or a blender because I drink way too much water. Well, not too much water, but I drink a whole lot of water. Uh, I usually go out back, hang out with my dogs in the morning. My girlfriend, she leaves for school usually pretty early in the morning. Um, and so I'll kind of get up, just mosey around. I don't touch my phone for the first hour every day. Um, so I usually go out back and hang out with my dogs, maybe put my feet in my pool. Um, clean up around the house a little bit. Then i I usually have meetings starting at around 7 30 or 8 in the morning. Um I, I work kind of sporadically. I I have meetings, I network with people, I have kind of just calls with people I've met on Facebook and we want to see how we can possibly do some work together. Um sometimes I feel like going we have we have a place called Top Golf here. It's kind of like a gamified driving range for golf. I'll sometimes go there and hang out. I'll hold business meetings there sometimes. Um, I like going shooting out in the desert. I'm probably about 25 minutes away from where I go shooting. And I'm in Arizona, so there's no rules. <laughs> and so I just kind of put my guns in my trunk and drive out there. Um, I don't know. I like hanging out with my close friends. And none of them, I actually like that none of them are entrepreneurs. My girlfriend has almost no idea what I do for business. She knows it's in marketing, but... Not much after that, um, but my best friend works in apartment maintenance. He couldn't possibly explain to you what I do. Um, I, I like honestly living a very normal life. I, I know I'm a very abnormal person, especially for my age. Um, I don't live the regular 24-year-old's life, but I like just being normal and i fit my business around that life i don't fit my life around my business because of how many people i've seen who try to squeeze life in in between their business or their work
1: that is awesome i commend you for being so young uh being so mature and you know just having the the capacity to be able to do what you want to do you know that's that's not easy for for a young guy especially and I'd love to know a little bit more about some of your plans. What are you, what are you trying to do with your business? Who are you trying to reach? Um, and what's your kind of your target audience or your niche?
0: Yeah. For my business right now, I'm, I'm mostly work with uh, multiple six and then seven figure um, entrepreneurs, but mostly coaches and consultants. So people who have any type of coaching program, uh, whether it's in fitness, in life and spirituality, in whatever that is. um, I do marketing on social media for them. I've done it for about three and a half years. I've generated about $36 million total for my clients. Um, And I'm a one man show. I own my own business. I don't have any employees anymore. I had six at one point and I fired all of them in September. (laughs) And uh, just, I, I, that was really when I started cracking down on, I'm just going to do what I enjoy and work with people I enjoy. If you and I don't get along, we don't work together. Um, So I do done for you marketing and then consulting as well for people who want to do their own thing, but need kind of that expert guidance. And then now I'm kind of stepping more into that role of being a coach for men and eventually just a coach for people in general. Um, I'm, I'm a big nerd for human interaction. I love human psychology. I study it still. I take college courses online sometimes just for fun. Just to understand psychology, sociology, um, why we do the things we do, how we view ourselves in the world around us. And so that really helps to inform my coaching and and what I'm trying to bring about for men as well. Um, So I'm really looking to kind of lean more into that over the rest of this year and then just moving forward. That's so awesome. Who are some of
1: the influencers that that you actually follow on social media that inspire you?
0: I follow... Five well-known people on social media. I follow Dwayne Johnson. I follow Steve Harvey, Will Smith, David Goggins, um, Bedros Kuhlian. I want to say that's it. I, I'm Unfortunately, I met a whole lot of these people before now, and I saw who they were not online, and I didn't like it. and so I I very much limit who I allow to influence me Um, and and I'm kind of in a lot of ways I'm kind of the anti influencer Uh, I'd much rather share who I genuinely am than create a persona Um, personas make you a lot of money I think they rob you uh, morally and internally quite often
1: that's really really important I'm so glad you said that just now because at the end of the day, I, you're right. I mean, I would say 95% of the influencers uh, you know, or more are, are, are not the same person. And, and the and the folks you mentioned, I follow several of them as well. So it's it's great to hear that. Um, and again, it's all about being authentic, right? That's why our show is called American Real, because we want we want to get to the core, the essence of a person, what makes them tick, have these natural conversations, just like you and I are having a conversation anyway. That's what we're doing. Um, but what's beautiful about it is that if we could help one person realize that, okay, I get it. You know, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Then hopefully that'll help them, and then it just spreads from there. And and you have this trickle down effect that we can change the world yep. as not influencers as the, the word use, which I really like.
0: Yeah, I, I think again, it's kind of connecting with that core and sharing as close to that as possible to the world. Cause that's again, what's real. That's, what's honest. The persona is awesome at at maybe motivating people. Sometimes making them feel good about themselves. I'm not out to make you feel good about yourself. If you kind of deserve to feel like crap about yourself right now, I want you to, because I step into those too. When I'm supposed to feel like, I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on here. If I'm supposed to feel like crap, I feel like crap and, and I accept it and I'm here and let me work through it. I'm, I'm not interested in like putting on that mask online and, and pretending like everything's incredible because sometimes it's not. And let's talk about those things. That's cool. Yeah,
1: Carrie, let's talk about your book. It's called Better Men. Yes. How long have you been writing it? And uh, if you can, just give us a little overview.
0: Yeah. So I, uh, we, we kind of went through pretty much the synopsis of my book in this interview, which is awesome. Great. Uh, I started writing it in September and I'm I'm hoping to finish up editing in the next few weeks. It was supposed to come out next weekend. My birthday is on the 21st. And so I was trying to get it done on my birthday, but I kind of got trapped in that vortex of, as I was editing, like, Ooh, I want to add this, Ooh, this should go here. This should. And I kind of got myself wrapped up into that. So I've Finally, I believe broken out of it. And I'm like, I'm putting out what I do have right now Um, because I can always update it later. I can always make a second one eventually. Um, And really, the beginning is kind of just that how my view of masculinity was shaped, the stories with my dad, the stories with other men who have helped to shape me. And then um, the rest of the book is really kind of tying those pillars together. What, What does it look like when you have too much hard head and not enough soft heart? What does it look like when you have too much soft heart and not enough hard head? What does it look like when you have both, but don't know how to filter them when it's, when you're very one or the other too often. And how does that manifest nowadays, especially, um, I tackle like toxic masculinity in my view, that's not masculinity at all. Um, so I, I really kind of, again, it's, it's an establishment and a redefinition of here's what masculinity looks like to me today. Wow. What do you say to men that degrade women? Um, I'd say you suck. I'd say your friends need to tell you suck. I'd say she needs to tell you suck. I'd say I'm willing to tell you you suck. I'd say you need to be willing to tell you you suck. And you're like this because nobody's willing to tell you suck before it got that far. Great. I love it. I love yeah. it. I we think it. we should all be so willing to tell anybody and everybody at any point in time, you suck, you do better and help them do better. That's right. Cause that's, that's being a true friend. That's
1: being a good citizen. It's, it's, it's all of the above, a good family man by speaking up too many, you know, and I, I, I talked to my, my mother about this a lot that, you know, that, and I'm a lot older than you, but even like my parents' generation, they they care too much about what people think about them you know if you know what would people say if they knew this or not but no i mean those days i think are long behind us we need to help each other by standing up and not and having the conv- conviction to be able to you know speak up and if 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 you're doing something wrong be able to actually get that feedback from someone because you may need it just as much
0: and please do like like even now as my audience is growing I still have my personal Facebook page and I say it quite often to any of them. If you see me doing something stupid, call me out privately or publicly. Comment on it so we can have a dialogue because maybe we've had a mis- miscommunication we can come to an agreement or message me privately. But, but never feel like you can't come to me or feel like I'm going to be super closed off about it. I expect it again. It, it's, I'm not just teaching this stuff. I expect it myself too. tell me when I'm doing something wrong. And I'm going to start asking you questions of how I can do better. Immediately, I'm going to start asking you questions. I don't do the defensive thing. No, that's not true. Well, where do you see this showing up for me? When do you see me doing this? How can I identify it for myself? If I try to identify it, if I link to it, I get to then, again, have my own very honest conversation with myself of, is this true? Or is somebody else projecting their own thing onto it? And, you know, Am I being held to somebody else's standard for themselves that's not my own? But at least it makes me check in and see, is this true for me? Is this real for me? I get the chills when you talk about that because that's exactly how I feel. I'm
1: just not as vocal about it, but this conversation is going to help me be more vocal to our community so they could check me in because I want that, you know? And my next question for you is, I know we just met today, but what advice would you have for someone like me who is, you know, just starting out? I'm uh, a year and a half in, to this podcast, we're bringing on some wonderful people like you, um, and, and many others, very similar, trying to spread good messages. Good, good word. What advice would you have for a young
0: business? Um, well, one I would say I've got a few people I can connect with who can help out like, like tactically with, with your podcast as well. Um, but I think that's it getting good people on and and you being you yourself being that person, I know you've had, was it Ed Milette you had on? Yes. Being able to like, be able to reverse engineer how you got him on, unless it was just some fluke thing. I'm sure you had a strategy behind how you got him onto your podcast. Yes. Doing that with as many people as possible while also still having people like me on. I'm nobody yet in this space. I'm not world known, but being able to say, okay, here's regular people doing extraordinary things. That's what I feel like this podcast seems to be about from just what I've seen. So I I just say sticking to this and never letting it become watered down, never watering down the content, never watering down the people on it, never uh, making people feel like there's something that they can't say. I felt like this entire time I can say whatever I'd like on this. And there's some podcasts that will try to script it. They'll try to, well, here are all the questions I'm going to ask you. And I tell them I don't read it. Just ask me the questions in real time. I'm going to give you an honest answer. I don't want to be able to think about it beforehand and craft the perfect answer for it. So, being kind of letting people still feel like I can be a person here, especially the big names who feel like they have to be that persona. Being able to just say, "Look, this is a real life podcast. Let's talk to people like we're having a conversation." Because I think we need more conversations. And like you said, with your parents and their generation. I think keeping things hidden perpetuates the problem. I think it allows you to do things behind closed doors. When you bring it to light, it's uncomfortable at first, but at least it's out there and you're able to deal with it. You're able to do something about it. Awesome.
1: No, I really appreciate your your input and insight there. And I think you nailed it. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Because to me, and you, you touched on this earlier when you said you had to pull a couple of celebrities aside. To me, in, in my mind, no one is better than anyone in this world. We're we're all we're all here together on the same plane. Now some people may have more money or better education or whatever, but at the same time, if I'm sitting down and having a conversation, I'm present with you because you are the guest. You have something to share. You have a voice to give. So does Ed Milet. Now he has a huge audience. That's wonderful. And I think it's great and I'm honored to be able to have him on the show. But one thing, one commitment I made to myself and I'm trying to do it more and more is when I find someone like you, I'm going to reach out and do my best to bring you on because you have a voice yeah. and you have you you have a great audience. I mean, don't let's not you know um, diminish that in any way. You have a great audience, but I, I could see, and I'm I, I'm actually honored that I have you in this conversation now because let's fast forward 12 months, 24 months, five years. We're going to look back on this and say. Holy cow. That, that was pretty cool. You know, we did that interview back then. And I really believe that, 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 that we're, we're on, we're all on this mission to elevate ourselves. We just have to be awakened. Mm-hmm. And once we're awakened, we have to help awaken others so they, they could also be on that journey. And, and uh, again, I'm just uh, really honored to have you on. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. Again, I appreciate it. <laughs> cool. So look, uh, this has been a great conversation. I. I promise you one thing I want to do is let's have another one of these down the road in person because I think we definitely have to meet there's a reason we're brought together here today there's there's no coincidence in my mind I don't know why I reached out to you, but I knew it was important and I just I could just see it in your videos your your authenticity um, I do have uh, I do have one last question for you though, and that is if you were to take out your cell phone and call the 80 year old you. Mm-hmm. and ask that old gentleman a question, what would you ask him?
0: Nothing. I would tell him, I'm hope, I hope he's proud. That's it. I don't think I would ask him anything. I, again, I like being surprised by this. I like figuring it out. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think I would, I would tell him, I hope he's proud.
1: Great. So Kyrie, Oliver, this has been great. It's awesome to meet you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for coming on the show. Cannot wait to get this episode out uh, to our audience. And welcome to the American Real family. Thank you again, man. I'm looking looking forward to connecting more. Likewise. Take care. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. At American Real, we're on a mission to help as many people around the world fulfill their dreams and obtain their goals. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. And speaking of podcasting, our next course will be starting soon. So, if you're interested in launching your own podcast, join me and podcast your passion. I'll take you through my eight-week course where I'll mentor you to build a world-class podcast. I'm only taking on a small group of people who want to share their passion through broadcasting, where I'll have you up on iTunes and YouTube within weeks so you can podcast your passion. Click on the link below for more information. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.